Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. Hallelujah. Turn with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 28. And I really only have one point this morning. It's a short message. And some of y'all are like, that's an improvement from last week. Um, but it, it's just the one thing, and it's kind of like, it's, this one is convicting to me, maybe more so than the others, because I... I err on a certain side. We're going to get into it in a minute. But um, my prayer is that even as a church, I think in a lot of really great ways, um, we're, we're a fighting church. Um, and I love that. I love how many of us engage. Uh, there's like a strong um, spiritual warfare muscle here. Uh, there's a strong prophetic gifting and anointing in this church. And... Um, and, and we, we're fighters. We are ground takers. We are advancers. Um, and I want to high five everybody in here for that. Um, I think sometimes being that church, being those people, uh, we can have a propensity to sort of err on another, another side that the Lord says, okay, but that doesn't mean I, I want you completely void of this other thing. And so I want to uh, read a passage that's always bothered me. It's one of those things, you know, like I said before, Kim and I, we go back and forth with passages of scripture that we have to take up with the Lord. Like, was there a typo? Was there an error somewhere in this? Because it just, it doesn't seem right. It doesn't fit. And this is one of them. I think I'm going to do a sermon series on this. Just all the things God got wrong. We'll see how long I last (laughs) before I get struck with lightning. But 1 Chronicles 28, now David assembled at Jerusalem all the officials of Israel, the princes of the tribes and the commanders of the divisions that served the king and the commanders of the thousands and the commanders of hundreds and the overseers of all the greenhouses and the livestock belonging to the king and his sons with the officials and the mighty men, even all the under shepherds and valiant men. Now he's about to, uh, he's about to speak to his people and in doing so, uh, he's, he's kind of rounding out his career as a king, all right, his reign. In fact, we are in the last couple chapters of his life, and uh, right as he's about to pass the baton to Solomon. And so I want you to have that context because uh, it's important. David has done a lot of incredible things for the Lord. He has... He has uh, gone on great military exploits and kingdom advancements, and he's established the Father's heart um, in and among Israel and the surrounding nations. And it's a really, really cool thing. David's like one of my just favorite guys that I can relate to the most. And on his sort of last big speech, he, he says this. He rose to his feet and said, Listen to me, my brethren and my people. I had intended to build a permanent home for the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the footstool of our God. This is interesting. This doesn't sound like a round out speech, doesn't it? Doesn't sound like this is, he's getting up and he's saying the one thing that he didn't get to do. I love that about David. I love that. I, I remember Lincoln's memorial in DC and um, this is like the sign of a good leader. He's talking he's in, in the address on the right, when you walk in and you're facing him on the right side, uh, the address is, it is sobering because he talks about the civil war. He talks about the blood that was shed. He, he's, he's, not, he's not doing what leaders do today, like, hey, play my highlight reel. 
Hey, let's talk about all the things I did right. Let's talk about all the things I built. Let's talk about how good the economy is or, or, or how, you know, everything I did to, to work on emancipation and everything else. A good leader is willing to point out the issues and the flaws and the places that still need work. And David's doing that right now. Listen to me, my brethren. I had intended to build a permanent home for the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and for the footstool of our God. So I had made preparations to build it. Not just preparations. He stockpiled every resource. In fact, he went overboard. He lists the stuff that he got, and you could build a city with it. And he says, but God said to me, you shall not build a house for my name because you're a man of war and have shed blood. Yet the Lord, the God of Israel, chose me from all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever. For he has chosen Judah to be a leader. And in the house of Judah, my father's house, and among the sons of my father, he took pleasure in me to make me king over all Israel. And then he gets into his sons of all my sons. For the Lord has given me many sons. He has chosen my son Solomon to sit on the throne of the kingdom of the Lord over Israel. He said to me, your son Solomon is the one who shall build my house and my courts. For I have chosen him to be a son to me, and I will be a father to him. I will establish his kingdom forever if he resolutely performs my commandments and my ordinances, as is done now. We're going to stop right there and talk about a couple things. But the first and foremost is David's heart. We already know David is a man after God's own heart. If you're, in my, if you're in my worship and the integration of heaven and earth class that I'm teaching right now with SOS, um, we're already jumping in really deep. And we, we talk extensively about David in the Psalms and how because David was after God's heart, God could establish his kingdom through him. God could establish his throne. He found someone for whom he could name Jesus after that's incredible. Imagine being the one, the man or the woman that, that when people cry out to Jesus generations and generations later, they say, Jesus, son of David. Like, that's nuts. Imagine having that kind of heart that the Lord can see your heart and say, that's, that's what I needed right there. Like, you're not perfect. Your blood won't cover any sins. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm still going to have to send a guy. I'm still going to have to send a pure and spotless lamb but he's going to come through your throne the way you reign, the way you rule. And yet, David confesses, admits, I had intended to build. If you're writing things down, write this down. Intent to build. Intent to build. David's intent to build is what it's actually what brought him into that eternal covenant to begin with. If you remember going back to when he comes before the Lord. Now, this is... This is not David in the field. This is not David with the heart. This is David after a lot of military victories. David uh, kind of rising up into the climax of his power. And he looks around and he says to God, how in the heck am I supposed to live in this palace when you're out there in a tent? I'm going to build you a house. And it was that intent to build that got God's attention. And it's kind of ironic. And we're going to sort of, Dave Andre's favorite word is juxtaposition. And uh, because you are a living, breathing juxtaposition, my favorite juxtaposition of them all. And uh, what we're doing here is we're going to sort of take 
David's heart and the fact that God saw David's heart and said, hey, I never asked for a house. I never wanted a house. But you want to build me one out of just who you are and how much you love me. It's not because I put that desire on you. And he makes it very clear. I never wanted a house. I never wanted a, a nation. I just wanted a man. I wanted a man. So many of us share David's intent to build. The desire of our heart is to see our lives, our families, our marriages, our homes, our jobs, our careers, our giftings, to see all that we are and all that we have erected before the Lord, that he might be glorified through us and that he would settle his glory here in our midst. Is that what you want? That's what I want. I think in a way, as believers, we all have an intent to build. I think, I think part of the seed that's deposited in us in the form of the Holy Spirit, we recognize that not just the world at large, but our own lives, our own homes, our own issues, what's missing, what's needed is heaven. And so we want to build heaven. We want to build ourselves, our lives in a way that can usher in, that can, can provide a place for the dove to land, for the principles and the statutes and the commands and the heart of God to be manifest in us. I hope that you have an intent to build this morning. David's intent, often like ours, it came from his heart. But that word heart, there's a lot of semantics involved here, but it's really his, his soul. It's, it's the seat of emotion and understanding, that Hebrew word lebab. It, it's, it's this idea of, it's kind of like where our passions come from. David was passionate for the Lord. It all sounds good, doesn't it? Because we use those words like they're holy. We use words like heart and soul together like, like they can't bear the fingerprint of our flesh on them. And yet, that's really who we are. So oftentimes, you know, we, we get goosebumps. You hear me harp on this a lot, and I'm probably not done, not after today or next week or the week after that. How many of you remember Chicken Soup for the Soul? How many of you still have that book? Was it 20 years ago? Longer than that? I don't know. I guess, I think, I mean, I'm only 22, so it definitely was, came out since I was, okay, before I was born. Chicken Soup for the Soul. We read things like that, and we, we notch them up closer and closer to Scripture because it speaks to us, and it makes us feel good, and it, and it, uh, and it nourishes our passions, our desires. And as Americans, you know, um, we think probably as much or more than we feel, but this word, my intent, David's intent, our intent, to build, it, it doesn't just come from an emotional place. I know Western culture is, is more prone to feel their way through things. We're more prone to think our way through things. But either way, it's I, kind of interesting that the seat of understanding and the seat of emotion both come from the same place. We think like as thinkers, as understanders, as reasonable, you know, rational, logical people that we're not going to make the same mistakes as the emotional people do, right? And this church is like my favorite because uh, it's like the war of the worlds in here. 
This is like the clash of, you know, the, the emotion feelers and the thought thinkers. And it's like, it's awesome. It's like oil and vinegar. And it makes a great dressing. You know? It just has to be shaken. Oh! <laughs> just shut up. See what happens when, Esther, you're on the front row in the first service, all right? Stuff happens. All right, so we've got to be shaken, but at the end of the day, we've got both our thinkers and our feelers, each one thinking and believing and feeling that we've got the monopoly on what God's doing, when really both things are seated, rooted in our flesh. We've got to move into that place, that eternal thing, our spirit, okay? This message isn't really about our spirit, but it's just to say that our intent, it comes from a soulish place. Even when we can whitewash it to kingdom come with, with Bible verses and with scripture and, 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 and sayings, and we can match it up with theology and everything else. Well, I want my life to reflect this and that and the other thing. But remember, remember what the Lord said. When David says, I'm in a palace and you're in a tent, and the Lord said, I never asked for a temple. I never asked for a temple. This situation between David and God is, is interesting because they're in love. They're in love in a way that's like our marriages on this earth can only hope to aspire to love each other the way that Jesus loves the church the way that David portrays in the Psalms, the way that Solomon writes about. There, there is a love there. But if you've ever been in love, then you know that sometimes you gotta let somebody love you the way they wanna love you. In addition to hoping they love you the way you need to be loved, you've gotta let them love you the way they want to. It's like two times, and then you're kinda like, I get the one love, I don't get the other. Did anybody in here, does anybody have a spouse who knits? No, okay, so this is safe. Oh, right here. Jen Cabral, you knit? Okay, you're Mike's only spouse, right? Okay, because his hand went right up and you're kind of like, mm, I don't know. Anyway, we can do some counseling or whatever after class. At the end of the day, here's what happens, right? You might hate sweaters. You might hate wool. You might have an allergic reaction to wool. But when you love a person who loves you, you let them love you with their hand-knit sweaters. I mean, that's probably pretty common. It's, it can get weird, you know what I'm saying? Like, like it's like God loving David is like, it's like loving someone who makes like wax sculptures. And you're like creeped out by wax sculptures. You're like, that's actually not me, but it looks just like me. And I'm not sure how I feel about there being one of me in every room of the house. Like, stop that. You know, it, it's, it's weird and it's creepy. But the idea is God says to David, okay, I love your heart. I don't wear sweaters. I'm God. In fact, there, there are even commandments against trying to make things that are as glorious as I am, by the way. But because of your heart, you know you can never build a building that's splendiferous enough for me. 
that's bedazzled enough to reflect heaven? You know you can't do it. There's not enough tassels in the whole world. But I love the way you love me. So, okay. Here's what I'll do. This temple's going to be built. But we've got to check something real quick. He says, you can prepare everything. You can draw up the blueprints. You can stockpile everything. You can buy. You can buy the threshing floor where it's going to be built. But at the end of the day, you're not going to be the one. And this is where I take issue. Really? Why not? Well, he says it in actually like three different places in Scripture. Why? Because David was a fighter. He was a fighter and a lover. But again, not opposites. Because both, both those things come from that same seed of passion. That same place that wanted to build was also the place that prevented David from actually being able to carry this thing out. He said, you're a man of war and there's blood on your hands. And I wanna talk about this a little bit because it's, um, it's a tough thing to wrestle through, but I think it's gonna land for us this morning with just that one point. What made David victorious in battle could potentially compromise a building project. The very thing that was an asset on the battlefield, it's often a liability on the job site. And, you know, if you think about it, if you think about it, we understand this today. We've, we've had our young men and women go off to war. Some of you remember a father or an uncle coming back from Vietnam or from Afghanistan. And... Uh, Battle changes them. It, it, it rewires people. Maybe you love somebody uh, who's in law enforcement. And, and seeing the underbelly of the world every day, it jades us. When you've been in battle too long, saints, you perceive everything as either a threat or a weapon. And in truth, that goes for our battles too. Some of you in this room, you've been fighting nonstop for decades. You go to bed fighting and you wake up fighting and you fight all day. And sometimes that fight is with one person and you feel like you're carrying out the will of God by not relenting and not backing down. Sometimes that fight is with every person. And the battle spills out and the sharp edges and the armor and the gunpowder and the lead, it's flying off of you all the time and you end up in an effort to fight a good fight, you end up wounding a lot of good people, people who love you, people who are inching closer with like the SWAT shields. But when you've been in battle too long, you perceive everything as either a threat or a weapon. I know people, there are people in our church who because of post-traumatic stress, 
from, from being overseas in active duty, they have to come in early to make sure that they sit in a seat where they can see the exits. And they're watching all the time. So, you know, being resourceful as we are, we put them on a security team. <laughs> you know? Like, you can stand up here and watch back there. But real life, real life is this. When, when we are men of war, like God calls David a man of war, when there's blood on our hands, saints, we can have a propensity to reduce the kingdom to defense and offense. We talk a lot about offense in here. Talk a lot about, you know, forgiving offense, letting offense go. We don't talk as much about defense, but maybe we should. Because if offense just happened without defense, I mean, it would make life a lot easier. But at the end of the day, when, when we're unable to set this stuff aside and come back to who God is in it, not just who we are, not just what we've done and not just what we want. See, for a lot of us, um, we, we went to a conference a couple years ago, a, staff, a bunch of people on our staff flew to a conference at a, a well-known prevalent church and it was like every song is like a battle cry and one of our staff, I won't say who it is, but it's my sister-in-law, <laughs> but that still narrows it down to two. It's, one, it's a pregnant sister-in-law. Oh, wait. That's still two. But she said, this, is a, this church is like the fight club. It's like, you know, everybody's like, Ugh. you know, and the Spanish people are all licking their lips like, you know, like, we're going, we're going. And you kind of just feel like everything's like amped up. Everything's at 11. You're like on edge all the time. And every, every song was like, Satan's going down. A fight church. And uh, it's funny, you know, stepping out of the way you do things and seeing the way somebody else does things. And, uh, but in a weird way, I think that while, you know, maybe not every one of our songs is a fight club song, um, I, I love, I love how engaged we are in where the battle really is. And that's so important, saints. It's so important. And I think so many in this church have come to this place of, of realizing, you know, adhering to this truth that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And many of you have checked your battle with flesh and blood and you've shifted it to what Paul says, fighting the good fight, right? And now it's, it's, it's principalities of darkness and it's hell. But at the same time, there's a big difference between advancing the kingdom this way and developing the kingdom this way. And I think sometimes we feel like as long as we're advancing, if we're just fighting, but see, if Solomon hadn't come next, 
if David had, had, had left the throne to an heir who was another, another fight club king, what would have happened is they would have kept advancing, but there would be no one, there would be no throne, there would be no wisdom to develop, to build what's there. One author that um, I've referenced quite a bit in the last, I don't know, year and a half or so, uh, one that'll be coming up in our class. I'm going to be teaching a class next year at SOS on the fivefold ministry and apostolic order. And uh, he points out that the apostolic, the apostolic gifting usually comes in the form of either a father or a general. You're one or the other. Like you're, you're going to be one or the other. And the one that you're not, you've got to be careful to make sure that you know, you lean into sometimes. He talks about how one of his mentors, an apostolic leader um, from a while back, he said, every mistake I've made as an apostolic leader is one of two things. Either I acted like a father when I should have been a general or I acted like a general when I should have been a father. And saints, I think as a whole, as sort of an apostolic hub, of which all these gifts and all these ministries and all these callings continue to orbit around and to expand and to advance, to push into. I want to take a couple steps back from the general for just a minute because that's where I, that's the mountain I die on. Um, that's, that's probably how I lead. It's, it's a little bit more probably like ruthless sometimes. It's a little less gentle, a little less understanding, a little less compassionate, a little less like Will, you know? That's why Will's on the team. And, uh, and what happens is when you do that so much and your hands are stained red from all the ground that you've taken, you can miss the fact that some of this is not necessarily even what he asked for. What he wanted was a heart. What he wanted was your heart. Well, Lord, I gave you my heart. My heart's all yours. But everything you're doing, I'm letting you do it because you love me so much. Go ahead, make another wax sculpture. Build another church, knit another sweater. But at the end of the day, saints, we have been called to build, not just to battle. And so David says with a really unique mixture of pride and humility. One of the things I love the most about David and one of the things I think people don't understand about him, I'll say about me, with this perfect blend of pride and humility, he says, but I have a son. I have a son. And the Lord's not gonna let me do it but he's going to let my son do it. Solomon's coming. And he's going to pick up where I left off, and he's going to build the temple God deserves. The temple, by the way, he didn't ask for. Some of you in here, you're thinking, okay, so which one of my kids? Because I'm a man of war. Which one of my kids? Because I can't stop fighting. Which one of my kids? Because the battle isn't over yet. Which one of my kids? How do I pass this on to the next generation? And here's the deal. Because of Jesus, 
you're already the next generation. Because of Jesus, because of the second Adam, we can, we can step into this place of building. We can, we can carry out the intent of our heart by allowing the spirit of God within us to sanctify whatever part of our flesh has touched it and tainted it. We don't have to wait for Solomon. We don't have to say, well, we've, we've had, we, there's been too much blood, too many battles. I can say that. I can say that easily. I, 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 there have been times, would you believe there have been times, even since we've moved to Swansea, that I'm like, God, is it going to be my kids? Is it going to be the next generation that kind of takes this to the next level? Because I feel like part of all I was here to do was to like be the one to lay on the barbed wire so people can get over to the other side. And if that's it, I'm fine with that. I don't care. Sometimes the blood on your hands is your own blood because you made yourself a martyr in a place the Lord never asked you to. Unnecessary casualties. It's a prophetic word that was given to us six months ago, a year and a half ago, same thing. You know, it all runs together. <laughs> Unnecessary casualties. Why? Because sometimes we stay on the battlefield when we should have been building. Well, Zach, what if they're coming? What if they're coming? See, if we build, if we build the right thing, the right way with the right heart, we accomplish more than just offense, we build and establish defense. Our relationship with a strong tower, a shield, a fortress. Let's do this. If you're in this room this morning and the Lord has called you to build, would you stand? there's an intent in your heart to build. You'd say, you know, listen, I'll be the first one to say, I had to answer to the elders for this, like monthly, pretty much, because that's how often our meetings are. And it's, it's like, well, how much of what you're, you know, is it, how much of it's you, Zach? Like, are you, are you still getting you out of it? Because Sometimes we're building something and, and we're, we're ad, I mean, sorry, sometimes we're advancing something. Sometimes there's a battle we're fighting and we reel into it like some of our own ways. And, and I, I, I try this, I try to explain to people like, well, I have this arrangement with the Lord where he gets me, he understands me. I hope every one of you in here have the same arrangement with the Lord where he gets you and you get him. And... And from that place of, of knowing him and loving him comes a boldness. It comes a confidence. A confidence in, in things like, I'm not even that worried about messing something up. I'm not even that worried about getting something wrong. And some of you guys are like, oh, that explains it. <laughs> but at the end of the day, what the Lord is looking at, and I know it, he's looking at our heart. But what prevents us from really building you in the room you're out on the battlefield and you keep looking over your shoulder and seeing 
maybe a foundation that was laid at some point in your life or the beginnings of something. Maybe there's, there's two by fours and framed up walls. Maybe there's like, a, you know, the paper that you staple to it under the shingles and it's flapping in the wind and it's been out there for months. And you're like, if I could just go back and build, but the enemy, the enemy. And I want to say one thing to you. The enemy may be all around me, but I'm running free because he set you free. He set you free. You're not chained to a battlefield. It doesn't mean you won't ever have to walk out on one. It doesn't mean you won't have to fire a few rounds. It doesn't mean you won't have to get on your knees and on your face. It doesn't mean you won't have some sleepless nights of intercession and spiritual warfare. But saints, you are not chained to a battlefield. And the same spirit that cleanses us, the same blood that washes our sins away will also wash the blood off your hands. You're not stained from any battle. No stain that the Spirit of God can't take out. And so if you're in here, I want to speak to those of you who are standing and who are called to build. If you're in here and you are having a hard time laying down your sword and shield to pick up that hammer, would you meet me at this altar? I'm coming down because it's me. Zach, does this mean that we have to stop singing our fight songs? No. We're going to sing our fight songs. But the Lord's called us to build. You know what's interesting? A lot of the best music for fighting, it's also really good for building. You know? My kids know my playlist. None of you ever will. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Bless him, Lord. Bless him, Lord. I want to say to you at this altar, the Lord sees your heart. And like David, you have just blessed him. You have blessed him. The Lord sees and knows the innermost things. He understands you in ways that nobody understands you. And for this reason, he has honored the battles that you fought. Some of you, you look back and you see the one thing you lost and the Lord says, but look at all those victories that we had together on the battlefield. Look at all those times that we met each other down there and we had each other's backs and and I empowered you and you glorified me and together the enemy scattered. But would you just hear his heart this morning and know that you were never meant to just fight. You were never meant to even just win. That part of this incredible thing that we're in, it's the call to build. And even with the intent of your heart muddled a little bit, some some of your flesh still in there and maybe people calling you on it, I want you to know the Lord's not that worried. If you can keep your heart where it is, the Lord's not that worried. What concerns him is whether or not we're willing to leave the battlefield. 
whether we're willing, if maybe it's, it's a social media thing for some of you guys and it's like you pick it up and, and the fight song starts playing. As soon as you log in, as soon as you start scrolling, for some of you, it's work. For some of you, it's your marriage and you're tired from fighting for your marriage. The Lord's saying, hey, come in off the battlefield. You're more worried about your marriage than I am. I want to build something. And maybe what we build together is a shelter that your marriage needs to come into out from the rain. We're going to pray. And I want us just to spend some time down here. We got plenty of time. So, Father, I thank you. I thank you for, Lord, the hearts that are represented here. I thank you, God, for the intent to build. I thank you that you see us and you know us. You know our hearts, Father. And even where the world's accused us of things, God, where we've messed up, we've, we've swung the pride end a little bit further than the humility end or whatever, God, I thank you that at the end of the day, that's not really what kills the deal. What kills the deal is when we're unwilling to shift our mindset that we think that our lot in life is just to fight and die. Lord, I thank you for peace. And I thank you for Jesus. That because that ultimate battle was already won on the cross, that we can come back across those lines, walk back across that battlefield, sometimes with bullets flying past our head. But why? Because for such a time as this you desire to build I will build my life upon your love it is a Sing that with me one more time. I will build my life. trust the Lord. Should be the opposite, shouldn't it? But in the days of a, 
of a kid with no armor and a slingshot taking down a giant to towards the end of David's life when he makes this foul error of, of taking a census of his fighting men. What? How'd we get there? From here. How'd we get there? How'd we get here? From there. You know who God is. He's the same God. He's the same God. And for those of you, you've been fighting effectively, fruitfully, successfully, victoriously. Some of you. Many of you. And part of me wants to high-five you, and part of me wants to say, but be careful. Because the more ground you take, the more you think it's just about taking ground. The more battles you win, the more you think it's just about winning battles. When the whole point was for peace. We only fight a battle so that it can be over. It doesn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. It said, blessed are the peacemakers. Sometimes making peace requires shedding blood. But it's always been for the purpose of peace. So let the Lord bring you to that place of peace, that place from which we can build, that place from which the kingdom isn't just advancing, but it's also developing. Let's sing that one more time. Jesus, and I will build. And I will build my life upon your love. It's a fine, fine. Oh, I put my trust in you. My trust in you. have the heart of David but the spirit and the wisdom of Solomon I thank you Lord for the advancement of David but I thank you for the peace that you gave the reign of Solomon Lord as your word says that he reigned in peace I thank you wasn't that there wasn't some assassinations that needed to take place and 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 some occasional uh, conflict that had to be entered in but Lord it was a season to build and so God I thank you for the intent to build that's present in this room 
And I pray, Lord, that you would give us wisdom and discernment to know when to come back from war. That it isn't just about waiting until uh, we see a flag raised. That it isn't just about waiting until, you know, something that we would deem victory happens. But, Lord, it's, it's because we've also been called to build. So we love you and we thank you. We give you all the glory and all the honor and everything we build that's for your name. Amen. This is Pastor Zach and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you and have the best day of your life.